Thank you so much for joining us here at Word Baptist Church. I'm Jamar Andrews. I'm the lead pastor, and I get the great privilege of shepherding here. I'm excited that you're joining us today for this sermon. You're about to receive text-driven preaching. My prayer is that God speaks to you through this time as you listen to this message. So enjoy, and God bless. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts uh, chapter 15 is where we will spend our time. We, we actually will make a little bit of a trek into chapter 16 as well today. And uh, as we continue our series working through the book of Acts, uh, we have now come to a very important section. And uh, God has been doing some uh, incredible things in our study, uh, looking at our history. You see, we started this endeavor a long time ago, uh, working our way through this particular book, uh, looking at the, the history of the church. And uh, if you remember in Acts chapter 1, Verse 8, way, 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 way back when we first started this series, uh, Jesus uh, made the promise to the disciples that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. And so whenever you open up the book of Acts, uh, that is the structure that the book has. And so whenever you first start out, the disciples are in the in Jerusalem and they are preaching and sharing the word of God. That's where the church was birthed there. And uh, we see that they fill the city with their teaching. And then it moves out to the regions around uh, Jerusalem. And we see great move of God there. Uh, the Samaritans also hear the gospel and are changed and transformed. And ultimately, it's going to make it to the remotest parts of the earth. And so the section that we happen to be in, in the book of Acts, is the movement where the message has moved to the remotest parts of the earth. And in that section, we have had an opportunity to see the challenges, the triumphs, the wonderful things that God has done uh, as the gospel message has been moving. And uh, whenever God is working and doing great things, the enemy is also seeking to undo or to distract or to discourage the believers from doing uh, the things that God has called them to do. And so if you remember, when we first looked at this section, the very first missionary journey, uh, God called out uh, Paul and Barnabas from the church that's at Antioch. Antioch uh, is in modern day uh, Turkey. And if you remember, uh, God uh, called them out. I'm sorry, in Syria, he called them out and they began to move in modern day Turkey and share the gospel message and to see many lives transformed and changed. And uh, the enemy began to attack. And the first way in which he uh, sought to attack them was opposition. Uh, they were being challenged as they went from city to city. As they met in synagogues, they were being challenged about the truth of the gospel message. And so we talked about the fact that if we're going to be serious about our relationship with the Lord, serious about the gospel, we have to have courage and be willing to share the hope that we have within us. As they began to move the gospel further, you remember that the apostle Paul, uh, God used him to heal a man who was lame, lame from birth, the Bible tells us. And if you remember the people in that city, in that region, they thought that uh, Paul and Barnabas were gods, lowercase g gods, and they wanted to sacrifice to them and they wanted to worship them. And so we see that that next attack came not from a, a, a challenge in terms of the message, but ultimately uh, a, a challenge to them being humble, being willing to give God credit and see if we're not careful, we can think that what God is doing is all about us. And it can put us in a position where we seek to take credit for what God is doing. And the Bible tells us that God is not going to share his glory with anyone or anything. And so we talked about the fact that we have to be humble in our relationship with the Lord. And as we seek to see him use our lives, we have to make sure that we give him credit, that we see the things that he's doing and give him credit and draw attention uh, to him. If you remember those same people who wanted to make them gods, uh, another group came from some of the other areas that they had been and they turned the people against Paul and Barnabas and they stoned Paul. They threw rocks at him, ultimately knocking him out. They thought he was dead and they dragged his body outside the city. And you remember that Paul, when he woke up, it says he got up and he walked right back into that city and he stayed the night there. And then he went on his journey. And we talked about the fact that we have to be dedicated, that there are going to be challenges that we face. Some of them might be physical. Some of them might be emotional, material. But at some point, if we are serious about our relationship with Jesus, we will all experience a level of persecution and struggle. And we have to be willing to be dedicated to the mission that God has laid before us. After we saw that attack, we saw that the enemy tried to, uh, to change the gospel message. 
the way in which we are saved. And last week we looked at that. What, how are we saved? What are the dynamics of, of, of a gospel presentation to be able to know I have a relationship with the Lord and I'm going to heaven. And we see where the enemy tried to secretly introduce a teaching where you had to be circumcised. You had to work for your salvation by keeping the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments and all those things in order to be saved. And so we see that the church, the early church, they challenged this teaching. They had a council in Jerusalem and ultimately they came to the, I believe, the proper conclusion that it's by grace that you are saved. And so they worked through this challenge and they sent letters out to be able to instruct the people about the nature of the good news, about how we're saved, how we go to heaven, what God is expecting. And then they put in a few things to help them recognize the differences between Jews and Gentiles and how they can have a better relationship with each other. Now, having highlighted where we've been, let's talk about where we're going. You see, the enemy, I believe, is still set on destroying the work that the Lord has called the church to be about. And so what we're going to see today is that whenever his tactics to try to uh, oppress or push down the message doesn't work, whenever his tactics to try to harm or physically injure doesn't work, whenever his tactics to try to get God to be on the back burner for us to be the ones that are glorified, whenever that doesn't work, whenever he's trying to, uh, to, to cause us to quit when that doesn't work, whenever he tries to change the message that doesn't work, then he has another tactic. And the tactic is one that's one that happens from the inside out. If you'll notice, all the other attacks that we talked about happened from the outside in. It happened with individuals who were outside the church that were trying to cause issues within it. And so now we're going to see where he's going to try to cause issues within the church, inside, inside the church, where this message comes to the people. How will they respond? How will they react whenever they seek to go out on a second missionary journey? When you have two individuals who have very different ideas about what's supposed to happen, how will they respond? How will they react? And so the title of today's message is Dealing with Division. Anyone in here ever had a difference of opinion from somebody? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody said, no, nah, I've never had a different thought. Matter of fact, if we were honest, we probably have different opinions within our own selves many times. <laughs> Am I wearing this? Am I going to wear that? No, I don't want to wear this. Am I eating this? Am I going to eat that? We, we, even of ourselves, without having a, a whole other human being to disagree with many times, even in ourselves, we can find ourselves disagreeing. And we're going to see, ultimately, I believe, some very practical things about how we can handle this type of challenge when it comes to the life of the church. Because I just believe that if you are serious about your relationship with Jesus, you're serious as a church about the mission of Jesus, that you are going to be attacked in these ways. And it's very important that you recognize them. So whether it's not only the church, but even in your own interpersonal relationships, and whether we have married couples in the room or you have friends or on your job, you will see sometimes these challenges come along. And we, I believe the Bible is going to give us some very clear instruction on how we are to handle them. You see, I believe the reason why this is so important is because the purpose and the goal of the church is so important. Jesus in his earthly ministry when he was here, if you remember, he was doing really incredible things. He was healing people and casting out demons and just showing out. That's one of the things I love about Jesus. He was showing out. And if you remember the people, though, a lot of times they misunderstood how he did what he was doing and why he did what he was doing. And on one occasion, they told him, they said, the only reason why you can cast out demons is because you are in cahoots with the demons. You know, Satan is helping you. And let's just look at it in Mark 3, 24 and 25. There's a statement that Jesus says to, to these individuals in Mark's gospel, uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 24 and 25. He says to them something very important. He says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. In, in verse 25, he says, if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. So there's a, 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 a clear picture here that whenever our goals and purpose are in opposition, then that makes us vulnerable for decay or destruction. And so when we think about the nature of this, I believe the enemy knows this, that our adversary knows this. And so thus, if he can keep us divided, if, if he can keep us arguing with each other, upset at each other, not on the same page, then he can gain ground in our lives and seek to distort the mission that God has given us. And so today I have 
we have set before us, I believe, a very important passage for us to look at our history about how the church handled this issue in the past. I believe it should orient us in the present and prepare us for the future. So if you're taking notes, I just want to give you the main points and then we will unpack this uh, together. The first thing we're going to see is that we have to be willing to evaluate situations with a critical mind, not a critical spirit. And we're going to talk about the differences. What's the difference between a critical mind and a critical spirit? The second thing we're going to see is we have to remember that problems and disagreements are opportunities for growth. Now, it is true that problems and disagreements can cause problems and and disagreements can cause issues. But ultimately, though, I believe that if we are careful and we understand and we see what's at stake, I believe God can utilize these things, these moments, these issues to actually cause us to grow. And the last thing we're going to see is that we have to deal with any issues that could hinder the mission. If there's any issue that might be around or underneath the surface, anything that could be a stumbling block in somebody's life to God working and moving. We have to be willing to deal with any of those things. Now, I hope you've had an opportunity to find Acts 15 and we're going to finish this chapter and we're going to just barely get into chapter 16. We're going to put our pinky toe in the water of 16 and see what God has for us today. Acts chapter 15, our first section is verses 30 through 35. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Judas and Silas also being prophets themselves encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. After they had spent time there, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. So the first thing we're going to see is that whenever there's an occasion or an opportunity for us to have division, uh, we must evaluate things with a critical mind, not a critical spirit. Now, let me just make the distinction before we unpack it. And I believe these individuals give us a great example of what that means to have a critical mind, not a critical spirit. But I'm going to give you a old school example. Anybody grew up watching Winnie the Pooh? Anybody? We got any Winnie the Pooh lovers? Somebody like, I watched it this morning, as a matter of fact. There's a character in Winnie the Pooh. Uh, he's the donkey. His name is Eeyore. Everybody know Brett Eeyore. Brett Eeyore always is afraid, always something going on. I ain't really, you know, much change to Eeyore. All right. Things could be going good. Oh, I just don't. He always got something going on, always has a, has a disposition about him. So when I'm saying critical spirit, I'm telling you, think Eeyore, okay? That, that we, you always see the negative, always looking for the negative, always see that. And so it's very important that we don't filter things through that type of disposition. I'm not saying that we think all oh, pie in the sky and there's never any threats or any challenge or any difficulty. But what I am saying to you, though, is there's a way in which you can go about this world, the perspective that you carry that will taint things in such a way that you have a critical spirit that you, you always see the negative instead of having a critical mind, which carefully judges the information that you've been, been presented with and then make a decision from there. And so I'm going to just give you four things that I see in this first section that I believe will characterize a critical mind, how, how we handle things from a critical mind perspective. The, the first thing that you're going to see is that uh, the enemy, you know, he seeks to control us by misinformation. You see, if you go back in chapter 15, what you're going to see and remember is that a group of individuals had come down and they started telling the believers that they were not really saved unless they were circumcised. They were not really saved unless they were keeping the law of Moses. When you go back into the, the Old Testament, you look at Leviticus and Exodus even and Numbers and Deuteronomy and the things that are found in there in terms of how to live and how to worship. And so that, that misinformation caused the people to have, have a great stress level 
fear, anxiety, anger, all these things. And what I find many times is that whenever you uh, latch on to a lie or you allow a lie to be entertained in your mind and in your lifestyle, it is going to create a, a, a set of strain and stress in you like nothing else can that I find. And many times that's where it starts. It's, it starts with just a subtle shift. And now the hope and the peace and the encouragement and the strength that you normally carry because of Christ, now it, it just gone in a vapor. And so we have to be understanding that the enemy wants to create that problem. So the first thing critically you want to do is you want to get the right data. I like to say revelation. I'm gonna, it's going to come to you by the letter R. You're going to need these, three, th- these four things. Revelation, rejoice, reassurance, and regroup. Those are the four things. Whenever division is so prevalent or division is an opportunity. I believe those come right out of the text. The first thing is revelation. I want you to notice this. The letter comes, comes from the group in Jerusalem. Notice what it says in verse 31. When they had read it, what does it say? They rejoiced because of its encouragement. So they get the information first. So now they they get the information. Now that they have the right set of information about the dynamics of salvation, about what's going on. Now they go from being in a position of fear and and struggle and guilt and anger and all those other things that that the Bible tells us that they were experiencing, that they were upset. Their faith was upset to now they they are encouraged. And so the first step is that we have to uh, make sure we connect to the revelation, not just how we feel. Not just what somebody told us, but what does God say about it? What has God said in relation to the thing that you are dealing with? And, and, and so it's important that we find a revelation. And that's exactly what happens. They, they read it. And I know some of you are thinking, well, what if my situation is not directly addressed in Scripture? Or what if, what if my situation, I'm a little uh, am, ambiguous on how to handle it, right? I figured y'all would have that question. I'm so glad you asked this, this morning. Well, that's where these other three come in, that the disposition, did you notice the people's disposition? It says they rejoice. Everybody catch that? The majority of the time, whenever strain and struggle come our way, our natural, our natural movement is to despair and to be saddened and to be disheartened. But I believe that in, in the word of God, it tells us that our natural disposition should, should go the other way. This doesn't mean that we go pie in the sky and put a head in the sand and, and act this way. But I think there's some key things. So if you're taking those, just jot down Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. And I think this is going to help us with this next piece. It says this, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. Notice this. If there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, do what? Dwell on these things. Everybody catch that, right? Most of the time, our minds, our mindset, we tend to dwell on the exact opposite of the things that we just read. Normally, we dwell on the negative. We dwell on the difficulty. We dwell on the issue. But I'm just telling you, I think from them, they, they were willing to rejoice, be excited about the encouragement that they found in the letter, the encouragement that they found in what was communicated to them. Might it be that we come to the word and we dwell on that word and we allow that to, to, to guide us the things that we know are honorable, especially if it's a very difficult, challenging circumstance that we find ourselves in. I find that this will help us to not react in a way that does not follow the, the biblical model. Because sometimes, you know, our minds, you know, it, it can be a dangerous place up in there. Right? Anybody ever, you've been riding in your car and you hear a little sound and automatically you think, oh, I got to, I'm going to have to get a new car. Just got to get rid of this one. Anybody ever had that thought? Any, anybody ever been easing out of bed and something boop, hit wrong? You thought, oh, I'm about to have to have replacement surgery. Oh, it's just fixing it. Right? You ain't know, hadn't even been diagnosed, hadn't even been seen, but immediately, you mind just run 100 miles the wrong direction. That's a common thing. And what I'm saying to you is that we have to, I believe, combat this, especially whenever division is, is possible by, by having our minds focused on the things that the text told us, honorable, true, noble, the things that we recognize as being good, godly things. Can I just tell you, how can you know we are not allowing your mindset to be settled in these places because most of the time you're gonna have these things that you have fear, guilt, anger, shame, you know, restlessness. There's gonna be a lot of things that are gonna accompany that. But can I tell you, they give us a great model and they rejoiced 
and they were encouraged. The next thing that we see, though, I said reassurance. If you look in the text in verse 32, that their reassurance comes in the form of individuals, Judas and Silas. It says this. They were they were Judas and Silas also uh, being prophets. Now, this is incredible here, because if you remember, Judas and Silas came from Jerusalem. The individuals who had upset their faith in the first place came from from Jerusalem, Judea area, and, and they were not sanctioned by the church. But I think this is incredible that these same individuals, these same Jewish brothers would come and now they are willing to set up shop and they're willing to share. Did you catch the, their disposition? It says this verse 32, Judas and Silas also being prophets themselves. Notice this encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. Now, these brothers, brothers, that's my own heart. Preach that's my heart. Lengthy message. Now, let me just tell you, I could talk a whole long time about how long preachers should be, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. All I can say is I just like to try to keep it biblical. But anyways, a lengthy message. But what I want you to see is that notice it says it encouraged and they strengthened. You see, they brought about that reassurance of the truth of what the revelation had already been given. And so when we think about this, we, we need to ask ourselves, you know, in relationship, connections, most of the time, whenever our beef is with another person, our minds tend to move to the absolute negative issues in that in that relationship. And we discount all the history that we have of all the good, positive, wholesome things that have happened in that relationship. Now, I'm not saying that you hadn't been done wrong. I'm just saying whenever your mind wants to go there, set it in reality of the truth of what's happening. And, and so we see that that's what they do. They encourage them. They strengthen them. They share a lengthy message. And these brothers were great, I believe, asset by God, used by God to help and encourage whenever that could have been a great division that happens because of what these other individuals had told the church. The last focus is we have to be willing to regroup. You know, I'm convinced that the enemy knows he cannot stop us. He can't have us. So his desire is to slow us down or to deter us. And most of the time, whenever we start going through challenges, what we tend to do is we tend to stop. We get still. And we begin to focus on whatever it is, whether it's a relationship, whether it's health, whether it's financial, whatever it is, we stall out and we just get still. Because many times we're thinking, God, I'm trying to serve you. Why are you letting this happen? Like, is this worth it? You know, we start making business decisions. But I want you to notice what happens here. After it tells it that, that the brothers, some stayed and then some went. Notice what it says in verse 35. It says this, but, but Paul and Barnabas, they stayed in Antioch. Notice what does it say they were doing? Teaching and preaching with many others also. What were they doing? What were they teaching? The word of the Lord. Everybody see that? So after having gone and had to deal with this, what I'm going to call distraction, dealing with this threat, now they get regrouped. They regroup and they focus right back on the main thing. You see, we have to be willing to regroup, get our focus back on the Lord. Because many times what happens is whenever we are being attacked, God is seeing your life, using your life. The enemy wants to try to slow you down or keep you from doing what God has called you to do. But what we have to do is in the midst of this, refocus and begin to continue to share and teach the word of the Lord. Because that is how people are changed and transformed. So we have to make sure we get our priorities right. Let me just say this to you. Most of the problems that happen in the church or in relationships are, are not necessarily doctrinal. M most of the problems within a church are preferences and practical things. What time a service should start? How long a service should be? What style of music's going to be? What dress? What color the walls? Th th those are normally the things that, that cause issues in, in the church. And no, now to catch this now, and I believe that there have been many a relationship, many a church member, many a pastor, many a Sunday school class, many a mission trip that have have crumbled down because of preferences, not doctrine, not, not doctrine because of practical things. I, I'm not saying that those things are not important, but what I am saying is they're not the most important. And we have to be made aware that the enemy is going to seek to try to cause division and difficulty here in the local church. He's going to try to cause it in your family. He's going to try to cause it on your job. And I believe if we'll be willing to get the revelation, to rejoice, to be able to get the reassurance and relationship and to regroup and get our focus, then we'll continue to see great victory as we seek to move the message of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, we have to see what's going to happen because we got two more sections. In this next movement, 
not only are we thinking critically about things, meaning we're making a careful judgment, but we also need to understand something that, that problems and disagreements can be opportunities for growth. If we will handle them God's way. Let's look at this example. Starting in. In our passage in verse 36, verse 36 through verse 41 says this. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, in our text, does that surprise anybody? Because it surprises me every time I read it. It, it. When I read it last service, it surprised me. I read it this service, it surprises me. Do you remember what happened in chapter 15? There was this issue that came up. The brothers had an all-expense-paid trip to Jerusalem to go work through this thing. God had worked out and came back. But then we have now Paul and Barnabas, two brothers who've been together, rolling together for a long time, love each other, apostles now. And now they can't get together on on who should go. They can get together on the mission. They can get together on the message, but they couldn't get together on the messengers. And so it says that they have to separate. Does that not shock y'all? Every time I read this, it surprises me. Two brothers who love each other could not agree. Has that ever happened in the history of, of mankind before? Anybody know what I'm talking about in here? So when we look at this, I believe this is an opportunity for us to see some key things. The first thing I want to just submit to you is that without irritation, many times there's no illumination. Let me explain what I mean by that. Anybody ever had an eyelash get in your eye? Anybody ever had an eyelash get in your eye? Yeah. When that happens, all your it don't matter what's going on. Every, you, in the wind, give me a minute, we got to get it out, right? It don't matter what's going on. You got to get it. You ever had a rock in your shoe? Oh, yeah. You know where that rock get in there. No matter what's going on, something that little causes that much irritation, right? It causes you to think and stop. And, and so what I believe happens is that God allows irritants, irritations to come into our lives, very similar to eyelash getting your eye or rock getting your shoe, where it can now cause you to focus on a particular area, to be able to see a particular thing, to be able to grow. And so I believe what's happening here is there's getting ready to be a little growth. You see, you should expect that as God is working and moving in your life and you will continue to see kingdom success, that you are going to be a threat to the enemy. You should expect that. There are a lot of families that don't expect that. They don't expect that the enemy is going to be seeking to disrupt what God is doing. But the thing about it is, is that they stay focused. Now, in verse 36, it tells us some very important information about these two men, about Paul and Barnabas. This is fascinating. The text tells us that Paul said to Barnabas, hey, let us go back and, and return and visit the brethren in every city which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now, can I just tell you, I love this right here because their first missionary journey was so successful. It would have been easy for them to say, all right, our contribution to the kingdom is done. It's time to go. Barnabas, you still got that property in Cyprus on that island. We're going to go ahead and sip some lemonade and have a good time. It would have been very easy for them to just say, we've done our part. Very easy for them to say, oh, we, we, we've, we've given enough. Now, we don't have to worry about giving anymore. But they were serious about the gospel. Because, see, I believe Paul and Barnabas understood something that I don't know that we understand in America is that a crowd doesn't necessarily make a church. 
that a church's influence for the kingdom is not calculated by its seating capacity. It's calculated by its sending capacity, that it's about the mission, the extension of the work. We normally attribute success by how many people are there. But but I'm, I'm telling you, that's not you, you don't see this here. You, you see these individuals who had had a great thriving church in Antioch that they were a leadership part of. They had already been successful on the first missionary journey as they went through Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. But they still had a grit, a hunger for the work. So my question is, how about you? Let me, let me read you something that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9, 16. In 1 Corinthians 9, 16, he said this. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. Because he knew the gospel, the Lord was the one that was the, had the power. It says, for I am under compulsion. Everybody catch that? I am under compulsion for woe is me. If I do not preach the gospel, how many, and when you think about your life, are we in that position where we're like, oh, whoa, I mean, like, I didn't, I didn't get to preach the gospel today. I didn't get to share the gospel today. Man, it's just terrible if I don't get the opportunity to preach this thing, right? Most of the time, we woe was me about a whole lot of things. Woe was me, NFL football has not started yet. Woe was me, I don't have such and such in the third. And normally that is what is controlling our life. But I'm telling you, in the days in which we live, we have to understand that there is not a plan B. The gospel is the only way. It is the plan. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. There's only one way to get to the Father, and that's through him. So understand what I'm saying to you. We can't live like there's a a, a plan B and C and D, and there's just one plan. So if there's just one plan and God has called us to be the ones to carry it, woe is us if we don't preach it. My, my, we have this passion, this fire where we don't just say, oh, I done got everything like I like. I got my high, got my career, got my family, doing all these things. No, woe is us if we don't preach the only message that changes lives. You know, it might have quiet in here. Hopefully it'll be good. <laughs> but, I, but I believe that, you know, he teaches us something else here, too. That it's not just enough to, to make converts. Christ calls to make disciples. People who are fully devoted followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, not just they have given themselves to to him, not only have they given themselves to him, but they also live for him. There's there's, there's an important piece here. And so I believe he had a mindset about him in Colossians 128, Colossians 128. I think we should have the same mindset. You know, we think, oh, they saved now. Everything is good. Yeah, it's all good. But that's not it, though. He says, we proclaim him talking about the Lord, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. Y'all ready for it? So that we may present every man what? Complete in Christ. There's a, there's a maturity. There's a growth. There's an expectation of not just staying an infant in Jesus, an infant in the word, but that you would grow and mature over time in this relationship. And so I, you see, they take discipleship seriously. But can I tell you, I believe there's also another motivating factor that we have to be willing to have if we're going to be able to work through the disagreements and the challenges. And that's love. He had a love for the he had a love for the people that were that ran deep. Let me just read to you a little bit about it in First Thessalonians. Chapter two, verse 17 says this, but we, brethren. Have been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit. We're all, all, all the more eager to. Great desire to see you how to see what your face. He had a love, wanted to be with the people, wanted to connect, wanted to have a vibrant relationship with them. And so we see that these men, they were setting their minds and their attention and their focus to a noble task. And can I tell you, many times it's right when you're doing exactly what God's called you to do that the difficulty comes. In what way? Thank you for asking. Verse 37 tells us Barnabas wanted to take John called Mark along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now, let me just give you a little backdrop. When you, when you look at the history, you can find this history in Acts chapter 13, verse 13. 
In Acts 13, 13, it tells us that John Mark, he did not continue with them to the work, but that he went back. He wanted, he said, Mom, I'm coming home. I'm tired of being away. We don't know the exact reason why he didn't go. There are many, many, many examples given or thoughts given. We don't know the exact reason, but what we do know is that he did not go to the work. And so Barnabas, Barnabas is like, hey, we need to take John Mark with us. And the text is telling us that Paul is saying, uh-uh. Paul kept insisting, we're not taking him. We're not doing it. And so there's a, a disagreement here. Now, let's just get a little bit more deeper in the history. Well, if you're taking notes, just jot, jot down Colossians 14. We're not going to look at it. But in Colossians 14, what it tells you is that Barnabas and John Mark were cousins. They were family members. And so as family members, you know, Barnabas is like, no, we want to take my, you know, I'm going to take my kin for We want to, you know, it's going to be good. Paul like, I don't care to eat your kin for That don't mean nothing to me. He ain't going. And so now they, 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 they're going back and forth having this, this argument. And so when you, when you look at this, this John Mark historically, just to give you all a little bit more history on him, when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, this is the Mark that we're talking about here. So later on, he's going to be used and get connected with the Apostle, Apostle Peter. But when I think about this, though, how in the world, because we only get a small snapshot of what went on here, what happens uh, in this relationship between uh, Paul and John Mark? I'm so glad y'all asked. Let me tell you. Second Timothy 4, 11. Y'all ready for this? Somewhere along the way, these brothers got it back together. It says, only Luke is with me. It says, pick up who? Mark. And bring him with you. For he is useful to me for service. At some point, they beefing right now, having a very difficult time, but they worked that thing back around. What about old Barnabas? Because Barnabas is the one that he's arguing with. The, the text tells us that there was such a sharp disagreement among them that they separated from each other. That, that idea of being sharp disagreement means violent emotionally. They were mad about it. They weren't like, well, no, you take him. No, I'm going to take him. We need to leave. No, no, no. They were hollering. Okay. They were upset. Just jot down. It's not going to come on the screen, but just jot down 1 Corinthians 9, 6, and you'll get a chance to see what happens between those brothers, Barnabas and Paul. But can I just tell you, after this moment right here, we don't see Barnabas' name appear in the book of Acts anymore. So from what we know, their ministry together took a very, very different turn. And sometimes in ministry that happens, brothers who love each other come to a different conclusion of a viewpoint. So can I just ask y'all a question? Who was right? Barnabas or Paul? Who was right? Now, when we look at this, let's just take the facts. The fact is that John Mark did desert them and he didn't finish the work. But y'all know Barnabas, you know, Barnabas style. He's son of encouragement. This is the same Barnabas who, whenever Saul was first converted, became a Christian and the early church didn't want to fool with him. This same Barnabas that is now Paul, Saul now is now Paul. He's the one that said, no, brothers, we need to give him a shot. We need to give him a chance. We need to bring him in. We need to, we need to, we need to see what God is doing here. Same Barnabas. So you already know his heart. You already know what he does. He takes brothers who struggled, and obviously it worked out. How did it work out? Well, we got a whole book of the Bible that God used that individual to be able to get to us. We see that he was helpful to Paul on the back end. So let me just tell you many times when we think about the challenges and we think about the relationship struggle and we think about the, degree, the, the disagreements, they don't have to be permanent. They, they don't have to be a lasting thing. Now, it doesn't mean that the relationship is going to go back to how it was before. But you don't have to keep this Cold War going where ain't nobody benefiting off of it and other, other such things. And we see this here. You know, when I look at this, can I tell you something that also gets me excited? The enemy thought he had something. He thought he had tore up. The, he, he had broke up Paul and Barnabas, the duo, the dynamic duo. We done broke them up. He didn't break them up. Guess what happened now? Instead of having Paul and Barnabas go now, instead of one group going out, how many groups you got going now? Two of them going. <laughs> he thought he went lost again, but that's just how it works. Now, let me just say to you by way of application, because I, th I think it'd be important for me to just give a brief application and we'll look at our third point and finish. You know, I find whenever you get into disagreements, and can I tell you, there's no doubt these brothers loved each other. They had a great relationship. And sometimes we disagree with people we care for and we love, right? Does anybody ever had it? Okay, I'm just checking. When those types of things come, especially in the life of the church, I'm just going to give you just a few words of application. 
The first is the process by which we need to handle this. And I believe the first is we need to make sure we are faithful in prayer. We need to talk to God about them. Talk to God about the situation. It's easy to go talk to somebody else. It's easy to be angry and send messages that are not helpful. It's easy to do. But can I tell you, the first stop you should make, the first stop I need to make is I need to talk to God about it. And I need him to begin to work in me. Because what I know is every human being is susceptible to be wrong, every one of us. So we, we need to talk to him first. And after we talk to him, can I tell you, I believe the next the next piece is so important. We need to guard our heart and our mind. Some people would say even our tongue, and I'm fine with throwing it on, but I just believe what's down in the well comes up in the bucket, meaning what's down in your heart going to come out of your mouth. So if you guard your heart, what you allow to go in, the information you allow to go into your mind, so it won't tank the way in which you view the individual. See, what can happen is, is you can have an issue with somebody, right? And then you can know other people that got issues with that per individual and not have all the pieces go get with all of them. Everybody get out. Now you madder than what you was before. And you got all this other ammunition that that ain't got nothing to do with you and them. And so we have to recognize we have to guard our heart and we have to guard our minds. You, you know, we can have a misunderstanding with somebody. And it'd be truly a misunderstanding that neither one of you did anything intentional. But then but it becomes so personal to you that it's hard to break down the data to be able to see it clearly. And, and so when I see this and, and many times, what happens is we just separate. We can't come to a conclusion. We just leave. We leave the church. We leave the relationship. We leave the job. We just leave. And all I'm saying to you is you want to make sure you guard your heart and your mind and your tongue. Then I believe you want to seek godly advice. Somebody that, you know, love the Lord. Somebody, you know, loves you. And preferably, they are neutral. They have no, they don't know the other person. They don't know. They, they can speak from a position of neutrality and just tell you like it is like, oh, you're wrong right here. You're wrong. You're wrong. The next thing I believe we have to be willing to do is to keep doing what's right. Though. Normally, what happens whenever we, we run into this type of static, this type of difficulty, these brothers want to go and help strengthen the churches. Right. What I love about them is, is they did not not go to strengthen the churches. They still went. They still did what was right. They still stayed committed, even though they themselves were in disagreement. They still did what was right. And we, I believe, have to do the same thing. We have to do what's right. And let me just tell you, you got to know your limits. You got to know your limits. Only God can change people. I, I feel like I need to say that again because somebody need to hear it. Only God can truly change a person. So we have to know our limits. That doesn't mean we sit back and say, okay, Lord, you know my limits. I'm done. I'm not doing what you told me to do. You get them. <laughs> you know, we do our part. But we do have to recognize God is the only one that can change a person. Now, can I tell you, there's some good preaching in the back end of this section, and we're going to look at our last one. This direction from Syria, when they moved to, in this region, so as they are going up to Cilicia, it's, it's, it's important because they're going backwards. So if you remember when they first went out, they had a trajectory in which they went. Now they're going backwards. Now, the question is, why were they going backwards? Because you would think they would want to start with the very first church because the very first church would have been the one that had been the most time between when they saw them to encourage them. Right. Well, can I tell you, it's amazing how God can turn messes into masterpieces. This whole thing with going on with Paul and Barnabas and Silas and everybody. Guess what? He got a plan for it. Y'all ready for it? Let's just see his plan in our last movement. Dealing with any issues that could hinder the mission. God's got a plan. Look with me in chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Paul came also to Derby and to, to, to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who lived in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Now. 
I, I'm just going to go ahead and say it to you. They go, they're going backwards because I believe God had a divine appointment for them to meet this young man named Timothy. If you remember, the struggle was about three. Initially, Paul, Barnabas, John, Mark, right? They split off. It just says Paul and Silas go, right? So now the third one comes. We pick the third one up, Brother Timothy. Now, we need to learn a little bit about Brother Timothy. Now, if you remember, this area of, of Derby and, and, and uh, Lystra, this area, that was where Paul, God used Paul to heal the man who was lame. That was where they wanted to make him a God. That's where they wanted to sacrifice to him. And if you remember, he got stoned to death. And, and most historians, when we look at this, believe that it was in that first visit in all that drama, all that mess that Paul shared the gospel with Timothy's family, his mama and grandmama. We're going to look at that here in a minute. And they helped him to come to faith in Christ. All right. So let's just look at that. Let's just get a little bit of detail about Brother Timothy. In 2 Timothy 1, 5 is where we will see this. It says this, for I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt where? In your grandmama. What's her name? Lois. And in your mama, her name, Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. So meaning on his first move in, we got this, this young man, mama, mama, Jewish lady, daddy, Greek. So y'all know what that makes him? Y'all know what that makes him? Biracial. Y'all hear that? What? In the Bible? Yes. All over the place. Okay. So we got a brother that is Jew and Gentile named Timothy. All right. Now, this tells us something important because of the dynamics of this. The way in which the structure of the sentence, the, the tense of the sentence when it says, but his father was a Greek. It, it, it carries with it this weight that his father might have passed away. OK, and so this is incredible when you look at this, that now you have this this individual, his mama and grandmama. They had trusted the Lord. They helped him along, teaching him the scriptures in the Old Testament. Then he comes to know Jesus Christ. That these, these mama and grandmama were willing to let their baby boy go to serve with Paul. Y'all know why that's fascinating. Can I just where my mama's at in the house? Let me see where my mama's at. Okay, I see the hands. Fantastic. If a man came into your city and got everything stirred up so much that people threw rocks and hit him over the head with rocks that they thought he was dead and dragged him out, how willingly are you gonna say, "Baby, go on, go with him"? Let's just be honest, mamas. You probably like, uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know you going with him. Okay. You can visit him when he's here, but I don't know about this going with him nowhere. What I love about this piece here is that we're going to be talking about dealing with any issues that can hinder the mission. And I think the first thing is you see a willingness of sacrifice. See a willingness on behalf of mama, grandmama here to be willing to sacrifice. And I'm just going to tell you what, what we're getting ready to talk about in the life of the church is that, you know, in here, we have to follow the model of our leader, okay? I'm not the leader. Hear me. Y'all know who the leader is? Jesus is the leader, okay? When you follow his model, what you're going to realize is that sacrifice is the way. And you see the lead here. You see him lead out. Now, the benefits of Timothy, let's just break this down for a minute. The benefits of Timothy being both Jew, Jewish and Greek is that he's going to understand both cultures. He's going to understand both cultures. Now, there's a challenge, though. There's a problem, though. You, you see, Brother Timothy, even though he was Jewish and, and Gentile, Brother Timothy was not circumcised. So whenever we read this in verse 3, it says, Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him, and he circumcised him. Everybody see that? Now, anybody thinking, wait a minute. In the last chapter, chapter 15, all this static, all this noise about circumcision and keeping the law, and we not even one good chapter in, and we already got somebody getting cut up. What? Paul is big hypocrite. Is that the case? What's going on here? Because I'm just telling you, when you read chapter 15, he was going to the nines with them boys like, no, we ain't got to be circumcised. No, circumcision don't save you. But now we barely in, three verses in, and he's he circumcising Timothy. What is going on here? I'm so glad you asked. You see, in 15, the issue is that they were trying to say that circumcision was required for salvation, to be able to have a relationship with God, to be able to go to heaven, to be able to have his presence that is required. 
That, that's not what's happening here in 16. In 16, what is happening is that the Apostle Paul recognizes that Timothy is also Jewish. What's happening in 16, I just wrote it down this way, is that Paul is being sensitive to the uniqueness of the Jewish culture to keep from unnecessarily offending the Jews, the ones who they were trying to share the gospel with. So it was not about salvation here with Timothy. It was about sensitivity here with Timothy. That he understood that because Timothy was, was a Jewish man as well, mama was Jewish and he was not circumcised, that the, the Jews that they ran into as they were seeking to share the gospel would look at Timothy as if he was renouncing his Jewishness and he would not have full access to the synagogue to be able to share and share the gospel, which ultimately would make his ministry very difficult and ineffective. So this is a decision to help with the effectiveness of ministry, not a compromise of the gospel. Now, how does this play out in our day? Well, I believe we still want to be sensitive to not put up any barriers before anybody coming to, the, to, to Christ that are not biblical. Now, let's talk about this for a minute. We want to be careful to make sure that we don't put any unnecessary offense wall up to hinder somebody from coming to Christ. Now, the reality is we don't compromise scripture when we do this, but we want to be sensitive. I want to read you something from the Apostle Paul that he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 22 is what it says. Y'all ready for this? It says, for though I am free from all men. Everybody see that? He said, look, I'm free. I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win more. Everybody see that? So that I may win more. To the Jews, I become as a Jew so that I might win who? Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. So far, so good. To those who are without law, Gentiles, those who are outside, notice this, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Why? So that I might win those who are without law. To the weak came weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. Now, hear what he's saying. He's not saying that he's a chameleon and you never know what he believes and where he's standing. No, no, he's staying on the word. But what he's saying is whenever he is in certain cultures, certain relationships with certain people, he is mindful. He is sensitive of certain decisions that he can make or not make that might be a hindrance to them coming to know Christ. Can I give you some examples? Y'all don't seem too disagreeable. Let me give them to you real quickly. One is in the area of eating. I remember being on a mission trip uh, in West Africa. Primarily, the area where we were in was a Muslim area. All right. And let me just tell you, one of the decisions we made as a team when we were in that area is we said we are not going to eat pork. We know we are free to eat that pork chop. You hear what I'm trying to eat? We can do it. One of my favorite things. But on that trip, we didn't eat it because we didn't want to create any, any issue. Like, look, here, here the deal. They got chicken. They got beef. They got vegetables. They got fish. We got all these other things. We don't want them, even though we are free to do it, we ain't going to do that because we know it's going to cause an issue with them. I've been, I've been in areas South Asia. They don't like for you to eat that beef. Oh, Bessie. Bessie living well over there now. So guess what? When we went there, we didn't eat beef. We ate chicken. We ate rice. We ate vegetables. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to ask you a question. Am I free to eat beef? Oh, yeah. Are we free to eat pork? Oh, yeah. Now, you might not want to. High blood pressure, now they're going to get you in a bad That's fine. Okay? But we are free to do it. But what we, what we did not do is we didn't want to exercise a freedom that would thus now cause an issue for those that we are trying to reach. I, I just tell you another decision we made clothing-wise. It was hot. When, you go, when we went to Africa, it was hot outside. You hear what I'm trying to tell you? Hot, hot, hot. Right. Normally, I would have had on my shorts, my short sleeve shirt and wouldn't have thought a thing about it. 
But they were like, listen, in the village, now listen, men, men were pants. They were pants all day, every day. So you know what we did? We sweat like everybody else. We put them pants on. <laughs> we put the pants on. So I'm saying is we, what, what I believe he's saying what happens here when it comes to the, the mission of God, we got to deal with any issues that could hinder the mission. Now, for not for one second, do we yield on the truth of the word? If a culture or a people are asking us to do something that goes against the word, we always have to hold true to the word and we can share with them why we already know this. Whenever he said, stay away from idols, whenever he said, stay away from fornication. If a culture is trying to move you to those things, you got to tell them, we love you, but we can't do that. All you got to do is read the Old Testament. Hebrew boys had to do that. Many, 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 all throughout the Old Testament. I said, we love you, bro, but we ain't doing that. I just tell you right now, we ain't bowing no knee. So we, we understand these things. And it's imperative that as we seek to be about God's business, that we think clearly and we are sensitive to how we live our lives. The last thing I want us to see. Did you see it? It's pretty incredible. Is at the very end in verse five. So, so the churches were being strengthened in what faith? The faith. Everybody see that? I wasn't ready for that. I threw it at you quick. They were being strengthened in the faith. And were increasing in number daily. You see, it's not the hype. It's not the personality. It's not the plan. Listen, it's the faith. The faith, definite article, not of faith, the faith, the faith of Jesus Christ by his grace and in his work. You see, what I find is, is that the enemy is going to be pushing against us and going to seek to cause division and strain and struggle and hardship as we seek to do God's will and his plan. But we have to be willing to have a critical mind, thinking critically about the things that we are being told, the things that we are reading, the things that we are being told to accept. We have a critical mind, not a critical spirit. We don't need any more e-wars running around here. We got plenty of them. We want to think clearly by making sure we hold to the revelation, by making sure we rejoice. And that's the disposition our being, making sure we are reassured in our relationships and making sure that we regroup and we focus on what God has called us to do in his mission. We want to make sure that we understand there are going to be some times where we don't get along, where we disagree. There are going to be times and the majority of those disagreements are going to be about preference, not necessarily doctrinal integrity. And we have to be careful. But I believe we can grow if we be willing to pray, guard our heart, mind, our tongue, be willing to get godly counsel. I believe we'll see God do great things. And then lastly, we got to be willing to evaluate our lives. Is there anything, anything in our life that could be a hindrance, a roadblock to the very people we desire to share the gospel with? You might be free to do it. I tell my family, my kids, brothers in my life all the time, just because you can do it don't mean you should do it. Just because it's permissible doesn't mean that it's best. We have to begin to ask ourselves when it comes to our ways, what's best. I don't know your salvation, your relationship with the Lord, but can I tell you that these individuals were sharing the only message that will save our very talk about that Jesus, he's the only one. He laid his life down. He did it so you'd be able to come to a, a relationship with him and have eternal life. And the question is, have you accepted his gift. Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. And God, as we go into this time of reflection and prayer and response, I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here, they've never given their life to you, that Lord, today would be the day they surrender. That they'll say, Lord Jesus, save me, change me, forgive me, and use my life for you. Lord, I believe they commit that by faith, not because of the magic of any prayer, but, Lord, because of the power of your sacrifice, the power of your, your burial and resurrection, Lord. You will save, you will change, just like you did us. God, I pray you would help us to be faithful to proclaim the word of the Lord. Help us to stay focused. There's so many things distract us, Lord. So many things vie for our attention and our time. Lord, help us stay faithful to be about your business. Lord, as we go into this time of reflection and prayer and God just thinking through our life, I pray you'd help us to take an honest assessment of the things in our life that might be hindrances. They might be hindrances to our family members coming to know you. Maybe they know a certain lifestyle that we live that's not found in your word. Lord, I pray you'd help us to turn from that, turn to you. But maybe it's, it's 
Lord, a disposition we have in relationships or a substance or, Lord, a place or a people or, you know, Lord, these things, God, help us to evaluate clearly and be sensitive and make the proper decisions. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Pray you'd have your way as we sing and that you'd be pleased with our worship. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would please stand. I hope God spoke to you during the message today. We want to know about it. You can fill out a connection card at wordbaptist.com slash connection card. We want to help you through any spiritual questions you may have while you're on this journey. You see, we believe that the first step is for a person to give their life to Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear that the greatest need that humanity has is to be saved. And that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. If you will agree with God that you need him for the forgiveness of your sins and you will turn to him in repentance and believe in him, uh, you will be saved. The Bible says that you do this by one, believing that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead and that you believe that his payment is sufficient for you, that you will call out to him as Lord and Savior, he will save you. If you're listening to the service and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come and be our guest during the time of worship. We have multiple services. We would love to meet you personally and have you here for worship. You can check us out at wordbaptist.com for service times. If you've missed any sermons, they're all archived there online, so you can go back and watch them. You can connect with us on social media at Word Baptist. If you would like to invest in the ministry and continuing the spread of the gospel, you can give online at wordbaptist.com give. I'm so grateful that you've joined us today, and I hope you've learned something that you can apply to your life, and we hope to see you again next time right here at Word Baptist Church.